0: Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm Joined by the one and only Phil Calloway. Phil, good to see you. Good to be with you. How are you? Real good. Great to see you, Daniel. You're, you're looking good. Excited to be with you today, Phil. And um, we have a, a few things to talk about. But first, why don't you let our audience know who you are? Because uh, a Phil Calloway, the first thing I'm thinking is this guy's a golfer. You got to be like a golfer. <laughs> I am. I love golf.
1: I actually had a book come out this year called Under Par, which is a golf book. So it's my third golf book, and uh, love golfing. Um, yeah, it is the most maddening, hysterically awful, wonderful sport that I have ever played. And uh, so I've I've written quite a bit about golf and I've been able to golf uh, in a lot of countries and. Um, telling my stories of golf, and people seem to respond well to those. So, a publisher asked me, "Would you write one, another one?" And I said, "Okay, yeah." You mean the last one sold enough? Yeah, it did. So, we want more. And so, I'm a golfer. So, my last name's Callaway. People say to you, you know, "Do you own the company?" And do you think I would be dressed like this, uh, with uh, you know horizontal pinstripes? No, I, uh, <laughs> I I don't own the company. My uh, great great uncle Eli. Started Callaway golf, never put me in the will at all. It's just it's so sad. Otherwise, I would be miserably
0: rich. Oh, wow. So you actually are connected to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There aren't many Callaways that are spelled call away like Callaway golf. Uh, mostly there are O's and different things in it. Uh, but yeah, I, it, golf is, I'll tell you what, golf is all about hope, man. It's the hope that <laughs> the next shot, something will go right. Despite all I have done for years, right? So uh, it's it's a really cool sport. It's uh, that's the one four-letter word that golfers need to use more of on the course is hope. But yeah, hey. So you asked me ab- about uh, golf, I and and what do I do? Who am I? I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, I'm approaching 50 now. I won't tell you from which side, Daniel, but I'm <laughs> I'm getting up there, and and it's just um, this. You know, who am I? I. More than anything, I'm a child of God who is redeemed and loved and forgiven and died for. Um, I, it's incredible to me uh, to find out the truth of the resurrection, and it has changed my life. So that's, I guess, the deepest thing about me. I'm also a, a dad of three and a husband of one and a grandpa of 13. I'm really not old enough to Wow. Be yeah, but suddenly in f- in five years, 13 grandkids, this year... Uh, three have been adopted into our family and it's such a cool thing. So yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's stuff that I'm, I'm most thankful for, I think.
0: That's incredible. So you're, you're a golfer, you're a granddad, but you're also a comedian. And why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what that's like, because most of your uh, life's work, I mean, other than writing about golf is making people laugh and uh i'm sure making the grandkids laugh is probably like the you know the main priority these days but uh beyond that you've been involved with a program called laugh again why don't you tell us quick about that and before we jump into talking because i want to i want to pick your brain a little bit on some of the humor that we see even in the bible yeah you bet um
1: laugh again kind of began as an idea about 18 to 20 years ago um ben lowell uh at the time, was um, was working with another ministry uh, across Canada, and he said to me, "You know what? I, I've got this dream of having a short, humorous program that gives people hope, and getting that across the country. Not you know, not just so that Christians hear this, but so that everybody does." I said, Ben, I have been dreaming about that for the last few years, and that was many years ago. It took us a very long time to get it going, but uh, sometimes I've discovered that, you know, every closet is a walk-in closet if you if you try hard enough, you know, if you kick it down. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we had to do, and then there was a time of us saying, we just gave, gave it over to God and said, it isn't going to happen, and that's okay and boom the door opened so here we are and it's on uh, i don't know it's on something like 300 stations in the US it's on uh, i think 125 in Canada and it's overseas in quite a number of markets and so we're we're very thrilled i just man i just had an email uh, from a lady and a could pull it up here now, but she just said how it has changed her life and went on to tell me. And I think, man, if if God can use a guy like me, there's hope for anybody in this world. Uh, he used a donkey in Scripture, and so He can use me. Uh, but this program is—it's really that. It is humor with a point. Um, so we don't. What we don't do is we don't tell jokes and then switch gears. It's just—it's a story that's funny. And it it lends itself to some truth. And so we want to talk about that. It's not really a tack on of, well, now we'll have a Bible verse and everything will be fine. Uh, It's not that at all. It's real stuff. And some of it's just, some of it's sadness too. People say, I laugh and then I cry. and um, So I say, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to do that to you. But, uh, and when my wife says that to me, then I know she's telling the truth. Uh, She laughs and cries at our house as well.
0: That's wonderful. Um, We're talking about Humor. And one of the questions that I have for you is, why use humor? Like, it's yeah, sure, it's good to laugh all the time. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate, but, yeah, we like a good laugh. But oftentimes, I think in Christianity, we want to just be serious about the Bible all the time. Right. Like, we want to be like, look, humor, that's good for the television, but when we approach the scriptures, we need to be very serious about it. Uh, why Why would we use humor in, in the first place, Phil? Yeah, that's a great question, Daniel. I, I, I hear that uh, more often than you might think. Really?
1: I grew up that way. I, I grew up in a situation uh, where there were tremendous godly people uh, who loved Jesus. Uh, but it was very serious and there wasn't a whole lot of time for any humor uh, in, our, in our meetings, in our public gatherings. It occasionally happened where somebody laughed and then they were dealt with. Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, I grew up thinking that um, Christians were sour people. I remember a preacher getting up. He said that uh, we're going to spend eternity together. And I'm looking around going, oh, man, really? I got to spend eternity with these people? That didn't come as good news to me because some of them were cranky. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them told me off. I'd get in trouble for all kinds of things. You know, we, we used to sing the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart and then they would say where down in my heart where and i thought yeah they have to keep asking because they can't find it it doesn't exist (laughs) and i thought you know joyful christian was an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp and military intelligence and microsoft works right um sorry about that microsoft but it often doesn't (laughs) and and yet as time went by i began to discover through hardship of my own and through my parents' lives and dealing with their Alzheimer's and dementia and all that, we of all people have the greatest reason for joy. I mean, number one, I've been forgiven. Um, <laughs> that that is the greatest punchline in all of history. That despite all I have done in my life, God loves me. It, it is just absolutely preposterous. I think sometimes he has no taste that he could love a guy like me. And he does. So um, I just have to laugh about that, Daniel. I just do. And so, you know, that aside, um, I mean, you know, people ask me all kinds of questions about humor. And it's just, uh, it's interesting, because I never set out to do this. I found in grade two that I was making people laugh, like everybody would laugh except the teachers. They didn't appreciate that. They would put me out in the hall or over by the pencil sharpener or whatever it was.
0: I've been there, yeah.
1: Yeah, you've been, I know. And and see, that's (laughs) the irony of all this. And that's what gives people hope. I I speak to public school teachers. I was speaking to 5,000 of them not so long ago. And they just, they come up to me after and they say, thank you. I've got a crazy kid like Daniel in my class, right? And if there's hope for you, there's hope for anybody, and I say absolutely, it's so true. Um, what I'm unable to say in those situations so much is to talk, you know, specifically about my faith, and uh, I'm thankful that I get to do that on a program like Laugh Again. And and really, I mean, the comedy it opens up the door. I think in in situations like we're going through right now, with uh, you know, dealing with a pandemic and. There, there are opportunities where people see your joy and your humor and they want to know, how? I'm full of fear. How come you aren't, right? And and it, it, humor opens the door and I've seen that over and over. I've seen, you know, sitting on an airplane where a, a guy sits down next to me. I'm in the middle of a book tour and I'm thinking, okay, this is my fifth flight in four days. I. I'm just tired, I don't want to talk about anything to this guy right now, God, don't, you know, just no divine appointments. This guy turns to me and he says, what do you do? And I tell him, I'm a writer. He said, what do you write? I write books. He said, do you have one with you? And bummer, I did. I had one in my briefcase, pulled it out, handed it to him, and he looks at this thing, looks through it and he goes, you're a Christian? And I said, yeah. He said, I've had bad experiences with Christians. And and I turned and I grabbed his hand and I shook it. And I said, really, me too. And this guy started <laughs> to laugh. We had a four-hour conversation about faith and about hope and about joy uh, and about Jesus as a result of that goofy little comment. So I think, uh, you know, we believers, man, I, most people that don't share our faith don't immediately think of joy when they think of Christians. And I think that's very sad.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons, too, for humors, I personally believe, and there's a number of other people who like also have mentioned this exact thing is I think comedians are some of the best communicators today. Like if you were to look around our culture and say, who are the people captivating audiences, holding them for, for hours on end, it's comedians, just the way they string along stories and, and, and they, they, they draw you into it. Uh, and then they bring a point out of it. But I think the use of humor in comedy is actually as a rhetorical device, something that's really powerful because who doesn't like to laugh? It's 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 engaging. You, you want to be around laughter. You want to be around that joy. It's just part of what it means to be a human. And so I think when you see communicators use that, they draw people in and kind of open themselves up too. And they do that different ways, self-deprecating humor or or making fun of things that we all find ironic. Right. Um, But I I think from a a humor standpoint, it's a it's a really engaging tool that we can actually leverage. And so it's unfortunate to hear about your story and like growing up where the church wasn't that. But, you know, I hope that there's um, others out there who are actually using the the Christian gospel and like what you're doing, using humor to communicate it. Yeah. And uh, because I think that's what Jesus did.
1: Well, and, you know, he, as you know, um, was always asked, why are you telling stories? I shouldn't say he was always asked. He was asked yeah. by his disciples, why do you always tell stories? Always is in there, you know, and uh, it, it actually early on when I started doing this, uh, I was scared out of my mind because I wrote a book that was a hit. Uh, it was called Honey, I Dunked the Kids. It was stories of my own children and people bought the thing. I couldn't believe it. I thought my mother would buy eight copies and give it to aunts I had never met. And it'll all go, you know, and I can do something. I can have a normal life. Instead, it was a hit. They said, you better get ready to be on radio, television. You better get ready to speak. It scared me out of my mind. But I remember the first time I finally agreed to do it because a lady called me and she said, would you come and make us laugh? All the others had said, would you come and speak? Would you come and preach? And I would say, no, I can't. And she said, would you come make us laugh? I thought, well, I've been doing that for a while. Ask my teachers, they couldn't stand me, some of them. Uh, So I got up in front of this group. I had written down every word, but most of it, they were stories. And I began to read my stories and they started to laugh. And I realized at the end, when one of them came up and said, you should have gone longer. We really wanted you to go, well, man, I went 45 minutes. No, but that, you should have gone longer. And people, we love a story, and we love to laugh. And you know, they're just—you just don't hear people say, "I don't really want to hang out with Christians." They're just—they're just too much fun. Um, people wanted to be with Jesus. They just did. And and I'm not talking about the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the sinners, about the reprobates. They wanted to be with Jesus. And we need to ask ourselves, what was that like? And and what can we do to make sure that people say, "Yeah." I wanna be with them, not because they condemned me, but because they loved me. And there will be a time when we get to some of those things of issues that are going on, but mostly the Holy Spirit's gonna deal with that. And uh, humor can be a real help. I agree.
0: Totally. Where in the scriptures have you seen humor used? Like, as you look at the Bible, what are some areas that you're like, oh yeah, you can point to that story, that story, that story. So people will be like, oh, totally. Actually, I can now see some of the humor because um, it occurs to me, that, like, again, we can read the Bible as super wooden, But those authors had senses of humor as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, they were people. And and we forget that. You know, I had a letter from a guy in California. uh, And and this is what it said to me. I'll never forget this. It said, I've got it here somewhere in my files. Jesus never laughed. Why do you? There is no record of anyone laughing. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, of course, my first response is, hey, the bulk of Scripture, obviously, this is serious, serious truth. You know, the Bible deals with the most essential questions you'll ever ask. You know, where where do I come from? You know, what in the world am I doing here? And where am I going? And it's the story of how God so loved the world. But serious, though, that is, uh, there is humor in the Bible. And people, I don't think most people understand this. You know, a little kid came up to me and sometimes it's funny. They'll just tell you jokes because they've been listening to you on the radio. And a little guy said, um... What was it? He said, "Did did you know why Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh?" Uh, I, I said, "No, I don't. I, I don't know." He said, "Because he knew there was something fishy about it," and uh, that's right. You know, but that's not Bible humor. Um, there's an author by the name of David A. Peters who counts more than a thousand humorous lines and stories in the Bible, and people say, "What? Wow. What?" So uh, let me just give you a few examples. There's First Kings 18. Like we have stood in the spot where this story took place where Elijah is facing off with the priests of Baal in this contest to yes. prove, you know, which God is stronger. And, and you know, we we read this as, as English-speaking Canadians uh, or, or Americans, and, and we don't get a lot of the things that are going on culturally, but... You know, Baal, when Baal doesn't, uh, well, it's Elijah facing off with the priests of Baal to prove whose God is stronger. You know, Baal doesn't react to the prayers of the priests. And and Elijah, uh, he says, pray louder. You know, maybe Baal is taking a nap. Maybe he's away on vacation. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet. That is the exact rendering of what he said there. Now imagine that being said. That's what he said. Elijah, you know, he was one of the first stand-up comics to ridicule his audience. And uh, fast forward to Acts 12. So here's the apostle Peter gets tossed in jail. I love this. An angel shows up, sets him free, and immediately Peter heads over to this house where these believers are gathered for a prayer meeting. What are they doing? They're praying that Peter will be released. And who knocks on the gate? Peter and the servant girl. Her name is Rhoda. She answers. She recognizes Peter's voice. It's distinct. Must be. She gets so excited. She forgets to open the gate. She runs off to to tell the prayer group uh, and says, "You, you Peter! Now here he is!" And they're going, "What? No, no, he couldn't be." They refuse to believe that it could happen. These people of great faith. Peter's standing forgotten at the gate. He's knocking, Hey, you know, hey guys, it's me, stop praying, let me in. Now, you you have to see it from that standpoint as you read the story. That's funny. Um, Genesis 17, God speaks to Abraham. He says, you're gonna be a father. <laughs> this, is, this is a funny statement. Abraham is 99. And verse 17 says, he fell on his face and laughed. As in, you know, R-O-T-F-L, rolling on the floor laughing, right? For you texters. Um, Hebrews <laughs> Hebrews 11 comments on, I love this, Abraham's age. The author says, you know, when he became a father, it says he was, quote, as good as dead. Isn't that beautiful? You know, yeah. when his wife, Sarah, of course, he, she heard the news way back. She laughs out loud. Imagine your 90-year-old grandma giving birth, you know, you're going to be paying for diapers with pension checks for years. And they're her, paying for all
0: sorts of diapers, their well, own diapers, kids' diapers. <laughs> you <know. laughs> You got
1: Depends, you got everything. <laughs> yeah. Her son is born. She names him what? She names, names him Laughter, Isaac. Um, yeah. Sarah says, she she said, uh, I think it was God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears of this will laugh with me. Um, uh, of course, well, Danny, you know Book of Proverbs. Uh, how, how do you read certain portions without smiling? You know, like a gold... Ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. What a great way of putting <laughs> it. That's Proverbs 11, I think. Um, yeah. You know, and, and here's Solomon. He's got a hundred thousand wives, or roughly. This plethora of wives. And he writes, Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Um, you know, you gotta smile. The sluggard says there is a lion outside. You know, I tried that verse on my mom one morning. Hoping I wouldn't have to go to school, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, that you know, I don't know if that helps. It, it, the Bible contains tragedy and sorrow in abundance. From day one, we are sinful people, and it's so uh, we see it. But the backdrop of it all is triumphant joy. Um, you know, you see it when David slays Goliath and proves that anyone who mocks God has rocks in his head. Um, <laughs> you know. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There was an old preacher who, I can't remember his first name. Brown was his last name. He said, the great note all through the Bible is joy. And uh, I love that. I love that.
0: Um, Where would you say is a place that we should not find hope? Because we obviously, as Christians, find hope in God. But I want to hear, you know, through your life story, what are some areas that has not been helpful to try and find hope in that thing or in that person?
1: Great question, yeah. I I think uh, someone said to me the other day, um, and this was a believer, he said to me, my only hope in this whole COVID thing is that we'll find a vaccine. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I understand what he's saying, but I just simply said, hey, it's not found there. I, I'm sorry, but, You know, I won't philosophize on vaccines or anything like that. Uh, But what I will say is that that hope has never been found in our circumstances changing because they may not. It's never been found in our health because it may fail. It's not found in our bank account because everything can crash. And those are places we tend to put it. We tend to put it maybe in our own abilities, uh, in better politicians getting into office, I think this is a time when certain people look around the world and, and it seems to almost be leaderless. And they're saying, boy, if you know one, one of them would just come along, that would be a great leader. We could all follow him. And I think, yeah, well, I don't know. Start reading about that in Scripture and see what kind of scenario yeah. that is. Um, so I think you could probably chime in on other things that we really can't put our hope in. I can't remember the the verse in, in, I think it was Psalms, that that basically said, you know, hope is not found in chariots at that time. It was basically, you know, all this. Strongest
0: weapon of the day, right? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and
1: horses and all. So um, it's not there. And I think, you know, it took me a long time to to discover some of these things because for one thing, I'll just be really frank with you. I remember um, having walked with Jesus for a very long time, uh, growing up in poverty, thinking that if I could just have, you know, not a lot more money, but enough to do a lot of things I wanted to do and go on trips that I wanted to take and do some things for my wife, then that would be really cool. Now, I didn't necessarily put all my hope there, but in time I came to discover through some difficulties we went through that money promises not all the things, but many of the things that God promises. So, God promises us peace. The assurance of, uh, you know, almost immortality, money does. We think we can stave off death if we have enough of the stuff. Friends, you know, relationships, which is what God promises us. It's this relationship that will fulfill you. And we think, well, you know, if I could just buy enough acquaintances stuff, then it's going to be good, you know. Um, So I began to put my hope there. And we started getting book royalties that uh, just blew my mind. I I wrote a book called Making Life Rich Without Any Money, and suddenly it sold 100,000 copies. And I'm going, wow, I never in my life fathomed cashing checks like that. And it happened. And then suddenly there's this realization that you're standing on a beach in Hawaii with your wife and your children, and it's fantastic. And you have this thought, which C.S. Lewis so eloquently talked about where, how did he put it, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world will satisfy, it's because I was made for another place.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it just nailed me. And so that was a kind of a turning point of realizing, you know, I want to spend my life on something that will outlast me. I want to spend my life living for eternity. And what does that look like? Well, number one, it brings joy I never expected, and probably a lot of hardship I never expected. But hope is found in Christ. I, you know, Here are just a few verses I, I wrote down when you told me we were talking about hope. To them has God chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people." Man, you know, the riches of that inheritance. Now that is true wealth, because it's never going to be taken away. It'll never fade. "...therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober," First Peter, "...set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming." Those are just, you know, that, those are just three verses, and Scripture is, is just rife with these. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, right? Because we think that strength will come from whatever else it is, because I'm just such a wonderful, I'm an exercise buff. And if I just do enough of that, then I'm going to have health. And, uh, you know, if I have enough uh, apple cider vinegar every day, then uh, my health will be great until I'm 130. And I think part of this COVID thing is that we think we are immortal. We can live forever and any thought that we won't, we're going to do anything in the world to, to remove. So anyway, I went on way too long there, Daniel, but you're gracious. No, that's, you.
0: that's fantastic. I guess just as we come in for a landing here, um, because I'm, I'm agreeing and nodding at, with everything you're saying here, how do we begin in just small ways bringing that hope to other people? And even at Christmas time, I mean, th- there's a lot of opportunities, but what, what ways do you see that can be really practical for us to bring that hope to people? Uh, you know, I think it's, it's not as big as we think. It's
1: small stuff. Uh, we, our kids growing up, uh, one of the coolest things that they loved about Christmas was every year we would get some boxes of groceries. We'd find out a needy person in our little town of 3,500, and we would go to their place, and we would put it on the doorstep. We would ring the doorbell, and then we would just run like crazy. And, uh, you know, only once did I slip, and, and that was the only time we were discovered Uh, Other than that, it it was just so much fun. They still talk about it. They're in their 30s. They talk about this, and they want
0: to do it as well. Well, Phil, this has been amazing. Thank you for your time, and uh, we look forward to chatting soon. Sounds good to me. God bless. Hey, thanks again, Phil, for uh, spending that time with us. And If you want to find any more resources from Phil Calloway or you want to laugh a bit, uh, you can actually go to laughagain.org, and all Phil's content is on there. So I want to encourage you to check that out. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
1: I, Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada's In Doubt. If you listen to today's program, you're either a young person looking to understand how the Bible speaks to current issues of life, faith, and culture, or you're someone passionate to see young people grow in their walk with Jesus and understand the Bible. We want to thank you for being with us and encourage you to touch base by emailing info at indoubt.ca or in the U.S., info@indoubt.com. Also, we want to let you know that InDoubt is a ministry that only exists through the support of donors. So every gift of any amount means so much. For more information, visit Indoubt.ca or in the US,
0: Indoubt.com.